Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Thursday. Hope everyone has had a wonderful week. So today we are going to talk about what is going on at the border and what is going on in Texas. There have been illegal immigrants who have been transported to different parts of Texas. News reports say that there will also be illegal immigrants that are currently being detained at the border that are going to be transferred to different parts of the country. And so we're going to talk about some of what's happening. I'm going to talk to you about the Christian perspective of it, and then I'm going to talk um I'm going to talk to an immigration expert who has been studying this subject for almost two decades now. His name is Daniel Horowitz. He is an investigator. He is a journalist. And so we're going to talk to him also about the kind of the COVID regulation hypocrisy uh, when it comes to the unmitigated infiltration and acceptance of illegal immigrants, even while there are still Americans who are being heavily regulated as far as their behavior goes in the hopes of um, uh, report or supposedly trying to clamp down on the virus. So we're going to talk a little bit about that hypocrisy, uh, what dangers we think that this poses, and then also we're going to talk about some legislative solutions and then what you can do to hold your state legislators accountable when it comes to this problem. Because it is a really big problem. Now, there are a few, three stories off the top that I want to let you know that I'm thinking about, that I'm going to talk about at some point, but we just didn't have time to get to this week. Uh, the one story that I know you guys are curious to to hear my analysis on is the story of the 20-something man who uh, killed eight people in Atlanta. Six of them were Asians. Two of them were white. I think seven of them were women. One of them was a man. And because we are kind of um, at what seems like a a precipice or um, I should say a pinnacle rather of anti-Asian crimes um, that are at least being reported, this is uh, turning into a conversation about white supremacy, a conversation about systemic anti-Asian racism. And so I, I, I want to talk about that, but I'm going to wait a few days. There's a lot of information that we need to hear. And I mean, social media on this, it is so incredibly toxic, you guys. It's so toxic. And I just want to, I just want to say, It's very difficult for me because I want us and I wish we could stay in this place of just saying, look, like lives were lost. These people were made in the image of God and they're no longer here. They were senselessly murdered and now their families and their friends are mourning them. And this is awful. This is terrible. What would possess a person to do this? Jesus tells us that all sin, sexual immorality, um, all kinds of uh, debauchery, murder included, starts in the human heart. And so this was a toxicity of the heart, and this is terrible. And what can we do, especially as Christians, to cultivate as much love as possible and as much help as possible so these things don't happen? I want us to stay there, and I want to stay there. The problem is these conversations so quickly turn from, wow, that was awful, which everyone agrees with, and wow, that was terrible, and that person needs to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. They need to spend their life in jail, or they even, uh, they deserve the death penalty. Of course, it depends on where you stand on that particular issue, but everyone agrees this is horrible. Everyone agrees this is sinful, but it so quickly, before the bodies are even cold, turns into a conversation about what we want to be, what we want to say is the cause of this. So immediately, immediately, it goes from, wow, this is really sad and awful, which we all agree with, 
to, well, this is white people for you, or this is the patriarchy, or this is white supremacy, or this guy just happened to be a member at some point of a Southern Baptist church who happened to have ties to some conservative ministries who have argued logically and biblically against critical race theory. Oh, well, this is this is what that means. This is what it means to be a part of uh, SBC. This is what it means when um, you have churches that are pushing the kind of purity culture that we've seen in conservative evangelical circles. And so you have all of this confirmation bias, all of these preconceived notions that are being just put out there uh, without any thought whatsoever to the logical coherence of their argument um, before we have even had a second to mourn what happened, to mourn the loss of life of image bearers. And so I'll just like lay my cards out there. It is difficult for me because I, if I correct the record on that stuff, which I feel obligated in this role to do, if I say, whoa, 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 these narratives are getting out of control in the same way that we've seen over the past year since May, I feel like I need to talk about the data. I need to talk about the numbers. If we're going to say this is a problem of whiteness, like we got to look at the recent crimes against Asians and who is perpetrated them. Like we have to have a conversation about correlation and causation and logical fallacies. If I correct the record on it immediately, I am going to be accused of not having empathy and not having compassion and not caring and being racist and perpetuating racism or whatever it is. And apparently the only loving thing to do in these situations is to just not say anything, to just nod our head and to go along with whatever accusations people want to make about whole groups of people based on the actions of one person. And I'm just supposed to be okay with that, apparently. I'm not supposed to correct the record because that's unloving and that's unempathetic. And I can't go, I just I just can't go with that, okay? I, I, ju- I just can't agree with that. I cannot believe that allowing a lie to be perpetuated or allowing assumptions about whole groups of people based on the actions of one person that are not true assumptions and not true accusations, I can't believe that that's the loving and that's the empathetic thing to do. It's this whole like, gaslighting situation where something tragic happens and immediately the reaction from one side is to say, well, this is what you get with white people or this is what you get with men or this is what you get with Christians or this kind of theology. And then if you push back against that, you're the one that's called divisive. Like you're the one that's called political when it's not me who made it political in the first place, but it's a bullying tactic to say, nope, this is the prevailing narrative. This is what we're going to say the cause is. This is who we're going to say is to blame. And if you push back on that, you're the one who is callous. No, no, no. I would love us to stay in a place of our shared humanity. But if you are going to lie, if you're going to push theories that are not based in reality, not based in fact, then I do feel like I have an obligation to push back against that. And I'm just going to have to take whatever heat comes my way. And so that's just my short that's just my short take on the reaction to the tragedy that happened. Like, I don't like talking about race. I don't like talking about all of this. I don't like pushing back on the narratives. I don't like doing that. I understand that I'm a white girl that is immediately going to be discounted. Uh, my opinion on this or my take on this or my analysis on this is just going to be deemed a, a product of, of white privilege. I understand that. And yet, what am I supposed to do? Allow you to believe narratives that are not based in truth, that the numbers tell us something different, that the facts tell us something different? 
we're just supposed to believe in headlines and believe in the mainstream narrative on something and believe in someone's analysis of the cause of something because it's politically correct or popular to do so. I can't I can't be that weak if I wanted to. Um, And so I will be pushing back against it and trying to articulate as much compassion as I possibly can, because I I have all the compassion in my heart for the people who were affected by this violence. I have all the compassion in my heart for their families. They were they were image bearers. They have value. I care about murder. I care about violence. I also care about the truth. And I will just let you know it's hard. It is hard to balance both of those things, knowing that if you try to tell the truth or push back in any way that you are going to be called a bigot. It's hard to balance it. I try my best to do it. It's never going to be perfect. I'm a fallible, finite human being. I ask for the Holy Spirit's help in all of this, but I feel a responsibility to you guys to push back on the ridiculous things that you see on social media uh, from the progressive mainstream on a daily basis when it comes to these kinds of tragedies. I do. I feel responsible to you. I think you're worth telling the truth to. I do. Um And that also goes, by the way, in the conversation that we are going to have today about illegal immigration. Like, how do we balance compassion for people that we know are made in the image of God with the truth, like with the rule of law, with the importance of a nation's sovereignty? It's difficult to do. I try to do it. I fail at it all of the time. But just know that that is my that's my effort that I that I just don't believe that going along with the most politically correct or the most popular narrative or or headline about something is the most loving and God glorifying thing to do. I, I just don't. Um, so I'll get into the illegal immigration stuff in just a second. But I just wanted to say that those are my like short, just extemporaneous thoughts about everything that's going on on social media right now when it comes to this horrific story of this man who murdered eight people in Atlanta. He says he did it, by the way, because of a sex addiction, which we will also talk about. That's going to be lost in this conversation, which should also be, of course, talked about, but we will talk about it on Monday. So all that's coming on Monday. We're going to have a long episode, just like we did back in May or June, and we're going to be as human-centric and as truth-centric as we possibly can in that episode. So just Wait for Monday. We'll break it all down. We'll see what the Word of God has to say about all of it. Um, Second thing I wanted to just address quickly is that James Coates, whom we have talked about a lot on this podcast, he has been released from jail right now. I believe the charges have been dropped. Uh, They still have to go to trial, so they're going to be things that are going to happen. But I I really think that some of this, a lot of this has to do with you guys. Like a lot of this has to do with people talking about it on social media. And I'm not saying like this podcast or like any one of you or um, any one post that his wife, Aaron Coates, put out was the thing that pushed it all over. But I do think talking about unfair sentencing and unfair punishments and duplicitous standards by the government us talking about that I do think that it makes a difference I do think that um, government officials can feel the heat of righteous indignation and that's why I say I said this on social media the other day someone was saying like how do I push back on my kids inaccurate curriculum 
that they're teaching at school, I said, find like-minded people and raise a respectful ruckus about it. Like arm yourself with facts, arm yourself with the truth, not just feelings and anecdotes, but if there is curriculum that you believe is wrong or harmful, you need to be able to articulate clearly why and then raise a respectful ruckus about it. Uh, And that's what I think that we did with James Coates. That's what a lot of people did. There was a respectful ruckus raised about the injustice of his of his sentencing, being in jail, even as confirmed convicted child sex predators were let go in the same sentence without any uh, conditions. Um, and so I do think that us raising a respectful ruckus about injustice makes a difference. I think it made a difference here, of course, all under the sovereignty and direction and purpose of God. So thank the Lord for that. Continue to pray for him. Continue to pray for his family. And then another thing that you guys have asked me to talk about that I was going to talk about yesterday and I didn't have time, um, uh, The Bachelor. So after the final rose, you guys wanted me to talk about uh, everything that happened there. And there is so much there for us to talk about that I um, I just haven't had time this week. And we're not going to have time to do it today. If y'all are still interested in me talking about it next week, then we will talk about it. Just kind of the lack of mercy, the lack of understanding, the lack of forgiveness when it comes to the issues that were talked about there, I think is definitely relevant. People always say, why don't you even talk about The Bachelor? Who cares? Well, millions of people care. And if millions of people care, then that means that there is something to analyze there. Like there's something to look at there. And I just happen to think that the word of God speaks to every situation, that God has given us all we need for life and godliness, the Bible says. And this is a part of people's life. I don't recommend watching The Bachelor, by the way. I think it's a lot of trash, but a lot of people do. And so if I can use that as an opportunity to share the gospel and to point us towards God, God's good and gracious and right justice, then I am going to do that. So we'll talk about that next week if that's something that you guys still want to talk about. All right. Let us talk about, let us talk about um, illegal immigration and everything that's going on at the border. It truly is a crisis. Before we get into it, I got to make you wait just one more second. I got to tell you guys about a wonderful sponsor that I just really love. And uh, that is Annie's Kit Club. You've talked or you've heard me talk about Annie's um, Kids Kit Club, where they send subscription boxes every week of like woodworking kits uh, to your son or daughter. They have like Annie's Girls uh, kits where they have like Eating and painting and, and different things like that that your kids uh, can engage in on a monthly basis. They send all the supplies that you need, but they also have something for women. So they give you a craft every month. Again, all the supplies that you need, all the instructions that you need to make boutique-worthy decor. So that's like painting, needlecraft, beading, candle and soap making. Like I am terrible at this kind of stuff, but Annie's Kit Clubs makes it really easy to do it. Like you don't have to be an artist. I am like the least artistic person in the world. I just even have bad handwriting. I'm I'm creative, but I'm not artistic. And so this kind of thing is like right up my alley because they tell me exactly what I need to do. I'm like paint by numbers kind of girl. And so they make it really simple. And I'm also lazy when it comes to running errands. And so... um. 
And so I, I wouldn't want to go to the craft store and get all the stuff. And so this is perfect. They really make it as easy as possible for you. They send you all the supplies. You do it. You've got your awesome little soap or decor, whatever it is. And then you can get something new the next month. So go to annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. Save 50% on your first kit. No matter your crafting experience, you can make a picture-perfect project that you will be proud to display. Save 50% on your first kit today. That's annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. That's annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. All right, let's talk about this. Just one more thing. Like if you're watching on YouTube, you might see in the side camera. I don't know if you can see that my shoes are untied. They are untied. I don't know if you guys can notice things like that, but some of you notice like really small things. It's it's very difficult being as pregnant as I am to tie my shoes. So sometimes it just doesn't happen. I just like have to get out the door and not tie my shoes. I don't know if any of you caught that. My shoes are untied, but it's okay. We're all friends. We're family. I know that you guys hopefully aren't judging me for that. All right, let's get into this. Finally, at the meat of our episode. So what is going on at the border? Is there really a crisis? We've been talking about the border crisis for a long time. President Trump ran on that in 2015, 2016. Is it really a crisis? The answer is 100% yes. It's been a crisis for a long time. There was a surge in 2018, as I'll talk about with my guest. And there is an unprecedented, almost unprecedented surge happening right now. Daily Wire notes Nora O'Donnell's reporting on CBS that 13,000 minors are currently being held in custody. That is much higher than the 4,200 that was reported at the start of the week. And they are being held in U.S. custody for an average of 120 hours, far longer than the 72 hours allowed by law. There are also reports that are saying that there are kids that are going without food at the border, that they're held in these, uh, now they're calling them holding facilities, but they're the exact same facilities that these kids were being detained in in the Trump administration, except now there's so many more of them. There are less, there's fewer resources for them. And so they are not getting the help and the care that they need. And so what were called cages under Donald Trump are now being called Uh, holding facilities, but they're the same things. But now the conditions are even worse. And by the way, those facilities that the mainstream media called cages under Donald Trump were built by the Obama DHS. Okay, and so this is the same problem that is happening under Biden um, and exacerbated caused by his policies, which, again, my guest will explain very thoroughly Um, In a way, these things are happening in a way that were not happening under Donald Trump because of the incentives that have been placed by the Biden administration. You have seen and we'll put the picture up on if you're watching on YouTube, we have seen migrants coming to the border to cross over illegally wearing T-shirts that say Biden. Like Biden let us in. I mean, this is a direct cause of his policy saying that uh, he is going to allow people in. He's not going to send them back home. And there's basically going to be uh, no more uh, no more penalty for that. Um The article says this in the Daily Wire. Many of the children interviewed by lawyers in recent days said they had not been allowed outdoors for days on end, confined to an overcrowded tent. 
look, this is not Border Patrol's problem. Like this is this is not the or this is I don't shouldn't say that this is not their problem. This is not their fault. Uh, the the border officials are doing everything they possibly can to help these people. The fact of the matter is, is that we don't have the facilities to be able to properly care for all the people that are now crossing the border. They just weren't made for that. They weren't made for the number of people that are currently crossing. And so I believe these border officials are doing the absolute best jobs that they possibly can to be as compassionate as they can and to take care of these people. The fact of the matter is the facilities just were not made for that. Former acting ICE director Tom Homan said last month that the Biden administration designed this border crisis. They're bringing millions of people into this country who will now be counted on the census because Joe Biden overturned that, which leads to seats in the House and Electoral College in elections. This is power over public safety, the quest for power over protecting American citizens. So if you're asking why the Democrats and the Biden administration do not care about what's happening at the border, why they are allowing people in willy-nilly um, in a way that is completely unrestricted, why are they re- why are they are reversing strict Trump policies at the border um, is probably for some kind of power. It's not for compassion. There's nothing, let me just be clear, there's nothing compassionate about this situation, not for the people who live in the United States, not for the American citizens who live at the border, not for the people on the other side of the border, not for any of the migrants. I mean, these are people who are being smuggled into the United States. These are people who are uh, being a lot of times smuggled by the cartel. We've already talked about the amount of the number of rapes and sexual assault that happen at the border, how dangerous this is for unaccompanied minors. And when you provide these kinds of incentives and when you don't disincentivize illegal crossings, you get higher deaths of migrants. This is not safe. This is not compassionate for anyone. Strict border policy is compassionate border policy. The Daily Wire also reports The DHS says that U.S. is on pace for the highest number of illegal border crossings in 20 years. The border situation is difficult. Uh, The typical Democrat talking point uh, blames the ongoing child migrant issue on the Trump administration's immigration policies. That's what we've heard Biden's press secretary say, which turned away vulnerable children, forcing them to remain in Mexico while their asylum claims Uh, were processed. But here's the reality. The number of children crossing by themselves rose 60% from January to more than 9,400 in February. The most recent statistics available say, this is, uh, this says ABC, Uh, the overall increase is blamed on a number of factors, including the economic upheaval caused by the pandemic in Central America and two recent hurricanes in the region. U.S. officials have also conceded that smugglers have likely encouraged people to try to cross under the new administration. And uh, like I said, I think that there is something political here. Like who passed out those T-shirts to the migrants? Who made the T-shirts and who passed out the T-shirts to the migrants and gave them to them? Like whose PR opportunity is this? That's evil. That is evil. That is that's that's corrupt and it's exploiting these people who I do believe are trying to come here for a better life. I'm not blaming the people who are are trying to come here because I believe that they are fleeing poverty. They're fleeing corrupt governments who keep on, I'm sorry for my French, but screwing them over, over and over again, who care nothing for their safety, who care nothing for their economic stability. And I don't blame them at all 
for for wanting to come here and to start a new life. The question is, does the United States have an obligation to allow everyone in who who wants to come in? No, I I don't think so. Of course, that's not an anti-immigrant stance. I do believe that we should have a number of immigrants that comes every year. I believe in compassion for true refugees and for true asylum seekers. But simply wanting to come here for a better life because America is a better country than your country is not a right. That's not a justification for allowing someone in illegally. It also smacks legal citizens in the face who worked so hard to go through the legal process and do everything responsibly that they needed to do to become American citizens. If you do not have a border, you don't have a nation. You don't have a sovereign nation, which means that your laws don't matter, which means there are no special privileges or rights that you have as a citizen, which means that the government has no ability to be able to protect those rights and protect you. And so whenever someone says that, well, we just need to let people in because that's the compassionate thing to do, the question is, do you think there should ever be a limit? Should there ever be qualifications to allow someone in? Like, is there any kind of criminal background that could exclude someone from admission into the country? Is there any possible reason that we should be able to exclude someone from coming in the country illegally without a legal process? And if the answer is no, then you're not dealing with any sort of serious person. This this ridiculous argument, which has no basis in reality or logic, that America is stolen land, so we don't have the right to say who should come in our country and who shouldn't. If America is stolen land, then virtually every country on earth is stolen land. I mean, the history of the world, unfortunately is a brutal history of conquering and being conquered. Every people group, every skin color, every creed has oppressed and has been an oppressor uh, or has oppressed or been oppressed, has enslaved or been slaved, has been conquered or has been a conquered. That is just true of every civilization. And then to say that today there is no justification to having sovereign borders and to being able to protect the rights and the safety of your citizens, it's ludicrous. It's not based, again, on any reality. This is about power for a lot of people. I think a lot of people think that it's compassionate, but again, there's nothing that is going on at the border right now or with our immigration process that is compassionate. So what this has led to is actually thousands of adolescents being separated from their families if they came with their families. A lot of them came unaccompanied. And taking them to places like Midland, Texas, taking them to places like Dallas, Texas, and the the local officials and the state officials apparently, reportedly, have had no say in this whatsoever. Like they haven't had to give permission. They haven't told the public, hey, here's why. For example, in Dallas, there are 3,000 reportedly 15 to 17-year-old males being placed in this convention center, and here's what's going to happen to them. Like, does the public have any right to be concerned? And this is not to say that we think all of those people are are bad or that we think all of those people are, are worse than Americans. That's not the point. But people do have a right to be concerned about things like MS-13. People do have a right to be concerned about like what is going to happen to their community. And to say that they don't have a right to be concerned is the most privileged argument that you could possibly make. 
Because the people who are going to be most affected by this kind of thing, if it does cause, um, for example, if it, if it causes any kind of uptick in, in crime or something like that, I know that we already have plenty of crime to deal with among our own citizens. But if it causes any sort of threat or any sort of danger, the people who pay the price for that are not the rich people living in their gated communities. It's not the people in the suburbs. It's the people who are already impoverished and are already vulnerable. Those are the people that you are hurting by this kind of of um, uh, unmitigated releasing of illegal immigrants into the country. Again, there's nothing compassionate about this. The Washington Examiner, families sending children alone across the border in response to Biden policies. The families are exploiting Biden administration rules against immediately returning unaccompanied children from countries other than Mexico, said the individual with knowledge of discussions at the Department of Homeland Security. The policy has created a loophole for families who have been turned away after they illegally came over the border and were pushed back into Mexico by Border Patrol. Immigration lawyers told NBC News that the strategy presents the best chance the children will be able to stay in the United States after being released to a sponsor in the country, even if it means the parent cannot go with them. And so there is child separation happening. And I was against and I'm still against true separation of children from their true parents. The fact of the matter is, is that many times traffickers will pose as children's parents um, to try to get across the border themselves. Um, but obviously, they're they're not really children's parents. And so in that case, I do want the child to be separated from the trafficker and to be made safe. But if there is a, a mother and her child is with her, even if they're coming over illegally, I do not believe in disincentivizing the crossing of the border by separating um, that true family. I mean, I just, there's it doesn't matter how against illegal immigration I am. I cannot stand with that kind of disincentivizing tactic, that kind of punitive treatment. I just cannot agree with the separation of true families. But that kind of thing in another way is still happening under the Biden administration. So you just need to think about for a second the kind of media hypocrisy that we saw. I mean, I know people who voted for Biden on the Biden, on the border cross it, uh, the border crisis. Like I know people who perpetuated that kids in cages thing, saying that this was just, uh, this was a Trump administration thing, that this is what it means to be a white supremacist president. And he is the most cruel president. Republicans are so cruel when it comes to what's happening at the border. No, Republicans want secure borders. It's not an anti-immigrant stance. It's not even an anti-illegal immigrant stance. It is an anti-illegal immigration stance. It's not against who they are as people. It's not thinking that they're worse people than anyone else. It's not even saying that there's a higher likelihood among them to be uh, bad people or to be criminals or anything like that. The question is, is this good policy for the country? Like, who does this actually help at the end of the day? I believe that it helps no one. And I believe that every single country, whether it is Kenya or the United United States has a right to protect their borders and not just a right, but also a responsibility. I want to talk about this also from um, from a, a Christian perspective, because 
A lot of people use, for example, Exodus twenty two twenty one that says you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt to say that that means that we should have open borders. We should just allow everyone in who wants to come in. And that's the that's the Christian way. Well, that is a poor understanding of what this means. And if you uh, look at what it actually meant to be a sojourner in Israel, yes, they were supposed to accept the foreigner, but that foreigner was uh, forced to uh, acclimate to their rules and to their laws to basically become one of them. There was a process by which these sojourners and these foreigners became a part of them in a way that is not forced here in the United States. And so if you're going to use that as your example, if you're going to use God's law for ancient Israel as an, our, our example for immigration policy today, then what you're actually saying is that you believe in a legal process by which immigrants should come in and uh, be acclimated to American culture and become a part of American culture and actually follow American law. There's no justification whatsoever in the Bible for breaking immigration law. There's just not. And in fact, a reading of Romans 13 will tell us that we're actually supposed to respect governing authorities. We've talked about that passage before, what it means and 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 what it doesn't mean. And so we do believe that breaking the law in that way is a sin. That doesn't mean that we don't have compassion for their station or we don't have compassion for their circumstance. We do believe in accepting true refugees through a legal process. We do believe in seeking and filing for asylum through a legal process. But we believe that there's definitions of these things. We believe that there should be a legal process to citizenship. And um, again, people who say that there shouldn't be, like who... Are you helping? Truly, who are you helping? I don't I don't think anyone, and I certainly know that that's not what Exodus 22, 21 means. Saying that we are going to enforce our border laws is not oppressing the sojourner. Jeremiah 7, 5 through 7 does tell us this. This is, of course, the prophet Jeremiah telling God's people, for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. So of course, we know that America isn't like, a, or ancient Israel isn't a metaphor for America. America isn't modern day Israel. And that's certainly not what I'm saying. And I don't think that's what anyone who uses this is saying. But also to use this in the sense that this means we are supposed to have open borders. It's just a poor interpretation of the text. And it lacks historical context of, again, what it actually meant to be a sojourner. We can absolutely have compassion. By the way, America accepts more immigrants every year than any other country by far. So to say that America is a country that oppresses the immigrants, uh, there is no other country that has shown more compassion and has given more resources to both immigrants and illegal immigrants in the world. There's no other country that has done it. But again, I believe that the responsible, compassionate thing to do is to guard your borders as strictly as possible, to make the legal process for citizenship as efficient as possible, and to disincentivize in humane ways this dangerous and exploitative crossing of the border that is rife with trafficking and corruption and drug trafficking and rape and assault and all kinds of danger that, again, 
is not good for anyone. I don't think that that is how we love the sojourner and love the foreigner by any means. Now, Wayne Grudem is a theologian. I've had him on my podcast who has talked about this before. He has talked about kind of the objection to any kind of border policy or even a border wall that says the Bible tells us to care for the sojourner. Here's what he says. He says, I agree, but we still must have some means of regulating how many sojourners we allow into the country and who can qualify to enter. He says a wall is the most effective way to do this. When the Bible says, love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt, Deuteronomy 10, 19, Old Old Testament professor James Hoffmeyer has demonstrated that these sojourners or resident foreigners in one translation uh, were people who had entered the country legally with the permission and knowledge of the country that admitted them. The unmodified term foreigner in some translations is not specific enough to translate uh, to translate Hebrew ger, that is the word for resident foreigners or sojourners. A foreigner who had entered a country by stealth and did not have recognized standing as a resident alien was not considered a sojourner but simply a foreigner. And still, we are called not to oppress those people. I do not think executing the law to make sure that citizenship and the safety of our citizens matters counts as oppression. We have to be cynical about this as well as humane. And I absolutely think that we can be both. We also have to, I mean, we have to think about the well-being of American citizens too. And that's not like people say that it has to do with whiteness. I mean, America is one of the most diverse countries in the world. When we say citizens, we're not talking about white people. We're talking about all different kinds of people. We're talking about people of all different original nationalities. We're talking about the whole mosaic that makes up the United States. We're talking about immigrants. We're talking about people with different melanin counts, different ethnicities, and all of that. Citizenship, it does not equate to whiteness. And anyone who tells you that is, again, trafficking in some kind of nonsense of critical theory and intersectionality that just doesn't correspond, uh, just doesn't correspond to reality. And so, yes, I think that as Christians, we absolutely have to defend the rightness the logic, even the morality and compassion of strict border policy. And look, we can do whatever we can to help those other countries to try to stabilize them. The fact of the matter is, is that America has sent those countries foreign aid for a very long time. A lot of those countries are simply corrupt. They are corrupt in a lot of ways, and a lot of them are simply poor Uh, And I'm not blaming the people who live there, again, for wanting to get out of them. But America is the country where everyone wants to come to. And I don't think just because you want to go into a country, you have a right to go into that country, especially not by a legal process. And when people say that about America, that they say that's bigoted. But if I said that, you know, you don't have a right to just walk into um Kenya and become a Kenyan just because you say that you want to become a Kenyan, people would agree with that. They would actually say someone who did that would be guilty of white privilege. Um, And so I think we need to be fair here. Like, I think we need to be honest here. America, like every country, has a right to protect her borders, has a responsibility to protect her borders. A leader who fails to put the interests of his country as a top priority and the safety of his country as a top priority. is a a failed leader. It's not a good leader. That's not a compassionate leader. That's not a righteous leader in any way. 
Um, all right. And so that's just kind of giving you an overview of everything that's happening. And I want to talk now to Daniel Horowitz, who is going to kind of give us the rundown on on all of this. And I'll just say, like, some of the things that um, he is going to say are going to, especially if you are someone who's on the other side of the aisle listening to this, like, I just encourage you to hear us out because he's like very understandably passionate about the subject, passionate about illegal immigration, like hear out the points that he brings up. Again, this is not about being against people. This is being against bad policy that we think has a bad effect on people. And he's going to talk about this hypocrisy of uh, COVID regulations and the kind of lack of regulations that are happening in regards to COVID when it comes to allowing illegal immigrants. And this is truly, truly a crisis. And he's going to give us some steps to take, and he's going to give us a little bit more insight into what is going on. Before we get into that conversation, I do want to tell you guys about ExpressVPN. So if you care about your internet privacy, if you don't want your location to be shared to all these big tech companies that share your information to other companies so they can make money, then I urge you to get ExpressVPN. It's what I use on all of my devices to protect my privacy. Uh, so whatever you watch, whatever you click online currently can be tracked by big tech companies, but ExpressVPN hides your IP address. It's masked by a secure VPN server, which makes it harder for websites to identify you. The ExpressVPN app also encrypts your network data to protect your sensitive information from being compromised. Plus, you can use ExpressVPN, the same account, on up to five of your devices. So my husband and I, we share one account, and that's just one payment, and we use it on our phones, we use it on our computers, and it's really nice to only pay that low fee every month and then be covered on all of our devices. Um, and I really like how easy it is to use. It just takes one click to protect all your devices. It really, really is so easy to install. And so if you want to defend your rights with a VPN that I trust for online protection, go to expressvpn.com slash Allie. That's expressvpn.com slash Allie to get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Allie. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. I want to get your insight in everything that's happening at the border and immigration-wise. Uh, you mentioned before we started this interview that you've kind of been focused on COVID, COVID regulations, trends, things like that. But really, your focus has been immigration for a, a very long time, correct? Absolutely. And uh, really about 15 years, this was the first year I've ever taken off of it. And as we well remember, 2018, 2019 was kind of the Super Bowl of this issue when we saw hundreds of thousands of Central Americans stream across the border. And I just want to actually maybe start there, the the convergence of covid and yeah. illegal immigration, because I think that's really important. I had a little bit of a different insight than everyone else did when covid hit, because, you know, that was the only less than a year after the first crisis in our time, 2018, 2019 at the border. And one of the things I covered very closely was the run on the hospitals by illegal aliens. It was a huge, it, it's a generic problem, even on the interior, it's been talked about for many years. 
But in 2018, 2019, especially during the January 2019 flu season, we had them coming in with influenza, scabies. There were a lot of mumps outbreaks as well in some of the ICE facilities. Um, lots of contagious viruses were coming across and local communities, local mayors would tell me they had to deal with it. Americans had to wait online at emergency rooms in places like Yuma and Del Rio in Texas. And I was saying to myself, you mean to tell me there's no public health prioritization we can make that say, hey, look, even if we take in illegal immigrants uh, as a baseline, we're not going to do it now. And it was like, no, you have to accept them in. They're all asylum seekers. Then fast forward, we went through COVID and it was like, Ali, there is nothing a government cannot do if you say COVID with a noun, a verb, and a command in a sentence, right. your life, liberty, property, gone. The, the, the objective of alleviating the stress on hospitals is the number one priority of government. This is what we were told. Um, and supposedly these measures were supposedly going to work, which they clearly really didn't. And there were three subsequent waves even after they did it. But nonetheless, that was their intent. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to today. And, and to me, what is so shocking, what people don't realize is um, typically when we see waves of illegal immigration, it's not a natural disaster, like mm -hmm. a hurricane, a flood. There's a reason for it. They respond commensurately and directly and specifically to the loopholes and the magnets that you dangle in front of them. That's what they will take. And that's what the smugglers and the cartels will be well acquainted with, whether it's an executive loophole or a court mandated loophole, they will cross people in the areas and with the type of demographics that will best utilize that. We've never seen it so direct. We had it covered. The border flow stopped um, because of covid. Trump was turning people back. You know, I mean, illegal immigration should always really be illegal. And this is really what we should have been doing for years. But we finally did it. Forget about this cumbersome process where you kind of bring them in and they have a million different ways of litigating their way in. Just turn them around. If you want to come, go apply like every other country does. Biden took that plug out of the drain and directly opened it and said, no, now you can come back in. And especially if you come in as an unaccompanied teenager. And that's really what's what's the leading edge of this flow. So then guess what? The smuggler said to the families here, let's sever off your 15, 16, 17 year old boys and come in. And then there, there's going to be a crisis. They're piling up. Then we're going to have to mandate and say, look, well, they can't be without their families. So it's kind of a one two punch. Mm. But to come back just with to finish this first point. Think about it. If you're the Biden administration, there's nothing more important than covid. Right. I mean, we could do anything we want to human beings. We could um, put a mask on two year olds, toddlers crying on airplanes. No matter what, this is the biggest thing we have to stop. Um, maybe you could have small gatherings at July 4th. We have to stop the large gatherings, the movement of people. Well, Ali, what is the greatest large mass gathering of human beings that is the most dangerous epide epidemiologically speaking? That is transnational migration because you're bringing in people suddenly from multiple different epidemiological curves. So, you know, what we've seen with this virus is that you know, it's very seasonal and geographical. So we seem to be kind of done at least with this wave. It's on a, on a lull. But, you know, the winter spread happens in the southern latitudes a little later. We learned this last year. 
the Hope Simpson curve. So if you're from Central American countries, they're going to get what we would get in January. They'll get more in April and March and maybe May. Suddenly, nothing matters. That doesn't matter. They're run on the hospitals. I'm hearing there's people in the Del Rio hospitals again. Suddenly, it doesn't matter. There's a two-tier justice system in this country. We now have a government of, by, and for illegal aliens. Yeah. What they do to American people, they're not willing to do to stop illegal immigration. So what I hear is pushback to that. And I just want to hear your reaction to it, because after Governor Abbott in Texas, he said, "Okay, there's not going to be a statewide mask mandate. We're going to open businesses. Businesses and individuals can kind of make their own choices. Of course, you got a lot of pushback from the mainstream media, from Democratic uh, politicians, Democratic activists. Um, And now you are having those same people say that. Uh, those who are making the argument that you just did that, okay, we're bringing in illegal immigrants completely unfettered, not testing them for COVID. And apparently we're just not worried about the spread of COVID. People are saying, well, that is just a white supremacist racist trope that immigrants are bringing in diseases that they are, you know, bringing in all of these, um, you know, bringing in these viruses. That's that's just not true. That's the kind of pushback that I'm seeing on Twitter that I'm seeing from people in the media that no, 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 you actually don't have to worry about the spread of COVID. When it comes to illegal immigration, there's no correlation there. And to assert that is just racist. So first off, it's kind of funny because I'm not into the racial argument, but it's actually CDC that says um, blacks and Hispanics are four times um, more vulnerable. And that's why they're actually downright having segregated vaccination programs to prioritize them. I mean, that's their agenda. Vulnerable in the sense that uh, they're more likely to die of the disease or die of the virus than uh, a non-Hispanic or non-black person. So they're, they're saying they're saying it both in terms of dying from it and as well as contracting it as well. I don't know if that's true, but that is certainly I'm actually doing an article on that today with the vaccination programs. They're saying that um, in Ohio, for example, they have different counties that are mandating a certain amount of vaccines could only go to non-whites and they have non-whites only. I think they call it um qualified people of color could could come to a certain um, vaccination drive. So it, it's it's actually interesting. I wasn't thinking of that until you brought that up, but they're the ones who are making a racial issue. But here's the more fundamental thing. This was the argument made more three years ago, 10 years ago when I was dealing with this. Many of us were saying, look, you know, the vaccination rates are lower there. They have a different standard of care. Um, we were worried about kind of rare things that we had more or less eradicated. Tuberculosis is a huge issue um, there that is is not so much of an issue here. Um, the any ICE agent will tell you that they often have latent um, TB from being around them. It means like dormant TB because CBP or ICE often have that because they're around them. Um, mumps, uh, Texas Department of Health, it's still on their website, I believe, today that Texas has a much bigger mumps problem than anywhere in the in the country. Um, but again, that was the argument I've been dealing with for 15 years. Right now, COVID changed everything. It was mm-hmm. all of us, regardless of whether we had it, have symptoms, don't have symptoms, whether we're vaccinated or not, we are all suspect. And we all have to limit our movement, limit our gathering, and have to be tested. So we're just saying to treat them equally. We're not saying, our argument is not that they have a greater um, rate of it, that has nothing to do with it. It's the same, 
But moreover, it's the argument, Ali, I gave you a minute ago, which is very important. And we saw this in June and July of last year. It's not that some countries are worse than others. It's that they're on different timelines. Yeah. Seasonality and geography. Yeah. So typically, I am very much of the opinion that the virus is going to virus. And what's called non-pharmaceutical interventions really don't help. And it's very natural and cyclical, and, and, it, and it's been proven to do what it does. But the worst thing, if you believe in NPIs, the worst thing you can do is unnaturally bring in hundreds of thousands of people from all different corners of the world, especially if you're for locking down Americans in America. Um, you know, they're coming in very close quarters. They're, they're um, in, in their camps, in the cars. They pack in a lot of people at once. So the notion that you're suddenly not scared about transnational migration, but you're putting on curfews within American cities is indefensible. But then again, I guess it is all about their race and racial agenda, because, Ali, we saw this last year. You know, we, we were coming off of the greatest cessation of travel and movement in American history. Immediately, starting May 25th, we went from having nothing to having what they themselves bragged about. I think some estimate as many as 40 million people participated. The largest, most ubiquitous mass gatherings in American history right. with the BLM protests. So BLM doesn't spread either. Our argument wasn't that they spread more. It was just to treat it equally. Right, right. And that's what exactly what you're saying about immigration. It's not that they're special carriers or special vectors of viruses, but just yep. like all human beings, we all have the potential to carry a virus. And like you said, if we're going to regulate American citizens based on the fact that they could carry and spread the virus, then why aren't we regulating illegal immigrants in the same way? But it's not just that Biden is saying, all right, come in, we'll figure it out. Maybe we'll give you a path to citizenship, but you can kind of stay here. We're not going to turn you back. But there are also hundreds of adolescents, and you alluded to this just a few minutes ago, that are being taken from the border and transported to places like Dallas, staying in the K. Bailey Hutchins um uh, arena convention center are being transferred to Midland. And then from what I read and what I hear, the local officials there, uh, they didn't have any say in it and they didn't, they don't know what's going on. And there's just a huge mystery kind of surrounding this. It's like what's going to happen to these young people? Like I, I don't blame these young people in particular, but what's going to happen to them? And, and, and how are we going to navigate this? And by the way, why, why, why is this happening? And has this ever happened before? There are just a lot of questions and not very many answers when it comes to that. So th this is really the third wave of what, what, what is designated um, legally by DHS as UAC's unaccompanied alien children. Let's go through a deep dive with that. It was 2014, 2018, and then now, um, and again, at each time it was responding to a specific incentive. In, in 2014, it was DACA. In um, 2018, it was California judges uh, ruling that they had to be released. And then now it was going, again, harking back to the COVID stuff. Uh, Trump implemented Title 42, which is not an immigration law, but a public health law. Again, I mean, if we're shutting down businesses, shutting down, uh, you know, domestic movement, so we're certainly going to shut down illegal uh, migration. And uh, Biden directly took that off what the cartels were told. So there's there's three statuses. And, and it's important to keep in mind, they're not different demographics. They're the same people. They're different strategies of how to cross over. 
there's single adults, there's family units that have adults and kids, and then there's um, the unaccompanied uh, kids coming over alone. Uh, what they were told is that immediately they took away Title 42, turning people around for the UAC, so they'll be let in. Um, family units, it kind of depends on the sector, and it, there's some confusion about that. And single adults, they're still doing Title 42. So if you look at the the um, the data, it directly reflects that. Mm. And what's funny is, so you think, wow, there's there's a bunch of um, asylum problems that just affect teens, or or but but not males, but you know just these people. No, it's a strategy that the cartels um, employ, where they basically exploit whatever loophole we give them. So it's not that you have teens running around alone. Uh, th this Here's the important relevant thing a lot of people don't realize. Um, where this notion comes from that we treat these people almost like refugees, where we bring them in, we turn them over to HHS, the Office of Refugee Resettlement, and they hold them. And in this case, they don't have enough room because there's so many, so they're finding all these places. And you're asking about the next step. They, the next step is they're coming in. Uh, they're coming into Fairfax, Virginia to Montgomery County, Maryland. I say that because the largest buildup of UAC resettlement in America is actually the counties around our nation's capital. So that's actually the border. What, what, what comes at the border doesn't stay there. That's what you're learning in Dallas and Midland, but you're gonna see that really in every state. And the thing about, there, there's a lot to say about UACs. The thing about them is in, in 2008 is when we passed this Wilberforce Trafficking Act. Um, Section 235A defines three criterion to be eligible for this program, and basically they're resettled as refugees. Number one, they have to indeed be children. Many of them are not children. So that's another thing. Um, you know, how do you tell the difference between a 19-year-old and a 17-year-old? Um, I had a border agent who, who told me he had a guy there uh, he worked with in the agency who was a dentist. And sometimes he examined examined their teeth, and he was able to tell, um, mm -hmm. you know, that some of them were lying. And number two, they have no parent or guardian present in the country. And number three, that they're victims of quote a severe form of trafficking. So it was designed to mean someone grabs a guy, brings him across the the a kid, brings him across the border. So of course we're gonna take care of them, right? Yeah. Instead. It's been used against us. It's a it's a smuggling conspiracy used against us. The families self-smuggle, pay to have their kids smuggled because they know that's a ticket. It's more the, the tail wagging the dog. Because we have that incentive, they're not victims of trafficking, they're self-trafficked. And then they indeed do have family and guardians in America. They're not right. here alone. They're the ones paying for them to come. Um, uh, Department of Homeland Security report two years ago showed that 90% of them were resettled with other illegal alien families already here. So they're not alone. They're not trafficked. They're not kidnapped. Um, they really do not qualify for this status. But to answer your question, what is going to happen is they will be resettled. And, you know, we could get into this as kind of a longer discussion. The next step is MS-13. Um, we yeah. almost eradicated MS-13 in this country last decade. The 2014 wave and then reinforced by the 2018 wave has grown MS-13 and, and the 13th, 18th Street Gang and several other transnational gangs beyond the scale that they've ever been before because 
remember, these are often very hardened young males. And, and you know, Ali, I cover crime a lot. I'm very into that issue, criminal justice. It's not just Central Americans. It's any country. The demographic doing the crime is not the 60-year-old. So it's not the 60-year-old illegal aliens you have to worry about in terms of criminality. It's going to be those young males, and they're getting, and again, this is true domestically too, they're getting younger and younger on the degree of violent crime they commit. And what's happening now, and I'm from Maryland, this is, it's all over the place, Montgomery, PG counties, and then also on the Virginia side, because you have a very large Salvadoran population. You have these teens that come in carte blanche so irresponsibly in such large numbers, they have no connection to the country. They have no sense of purpose. And what it's doing is they are the most vulnerable. Um, Rod Rosenstein, of all people, because he was U.S. Attorney of Maryland mm -hmm. before he was in the Justice Department, he saw this. And he said that is really where they saw this recruitment. Um, and, and, and when you're young and new into a gang, you really have to show your moxie and up the ante of your violence and get more gruesome than anyone else. And we've been seeing this. So when you see, you know, 30,000 teenagers, primarily young males reaching that age of criminality, that is true of every country, you're seeing the future of MS-13's growth. Okay, I want to take a quick break from that conversation to tell you about one more ad today, and that is um, a sponsor that I told you guys about last week, and that is this precious book, if you're watching on YouTube, ABC Life in the Womb. So this is an alphabet book for your child um, to explain to them gestation, so to explain to them what happens in the womb using the letters of the alphabet. It is super cute, just talking about you know child development and talking about how the baby grows and everything. And it really is precious. I mean, this is something that honestly, I didn't really know about um, until I was pregnant. Like I didn't really know, honestly, the whole process of how the baby grew and was nourished and all of that. And so this is obviously, it's age appropriate for your child, but it shows your child the wonder of life in the womb. And it's called ABC Life in the Womb. And 40% of all proceeds for the book go to pro-life pregnancy centers across the U.S. ABC Life in the Womb is available for order at your favorite book retailer. To find out more about the book or their pro-life promise, you can visit their website at littlelifestages.com. That's ABC Life in the Womb, littlelifestages.com. Talk to me, you talked, you touched on this, but talk to me specifically about the difference between Trump's policy regarding immigration, uh, what was happening at the border, and Biden's policy that has incentivized this. I, I know that you said that Trump said, OK, you got to turn around if you come to the border. That's that's the bottom line. And it's not turning around um, people who have actually you know, filed for asylum and have been accepted. It's not even applying necessarily to true refugees. Um, we're talking about people who are trying to enter illegally. Trump tried to deter that. You're saying that the Biden administration has incentivized that. That's why we're seeing such a huge surge in illegal immigration. And we're seeing this transportation of thousands of young men to cities across the country. Talk to me specifically about what those policies are by the Biden administration and what you think 
um, is is the why behind it, because it's very hard for me to see the the reasoning behind these kinds of policies. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's it's truly shocking. But I think we need, again, a little bit of a background on, on the history of this. A, a lot of people, when when they talk about the border, they get caught up with the manpower, the strategies, the border wall, the infrastructure. And, you know, I was always of the opinion from my experience dealing with really every facet of this issue that it's not a manpower issue. It's a legal incentive issue. If you ask them to come, they'll come. If you don't, they won't. Um, the, I, I once wrote an article, the best way to stop illegal immigration is by making illegal immigration illegal. Right. Um, we don't because, I mean, officially it is, but then wink and nod. Um, we offer all these incentives and bring them in and you have the whole court system and everything. And the reality is there's nothing natural about this. There's nothing, um, you know, or, 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 or there, there's nothing specific going on now. There's no asylum, right? Say what you want about the Northern Triangle, but it's a very homogenous area. It, you don't have um, a, a distinct ethnic, racial political minority being persecuted by a majority where you could disentangle a minority from the majority like the Yazidis with the Sunni Muslims in northern Iraq. You know, that's not what's going on. What's going on is this. There's 84 countries that I have counted in the world that have a GDP per capita lower than that of Guatemala. So if you telegraph the message that you could just come here I mean, it doesn't take a genius that to, to realize there's about one to two billion people in the world who would want to come here, and I can't blame them. They're kind of crappy areas to live in. There's a lot of poverty. It's there's a lot of problems, um, and and yeah, I mean, we we recognize that. But if you believe in that, you actually have a moral obligation to land boats and bring in a billion people from all those 84 countries that have a GDP at or lower that of. Guatemala, and at least you cut out the middlemen. You cut out the cartels and the money they make and the human trafficking and the rapes right. and all the problems that come on the way. I mean, if that's what you want to do, land boats. But, you know, that would expose the absurdity of what they're doing, so they don't do that. Um, instead, what, what happens is that Central America, because it's a land bridge and they have such established smuggling routes and they've had so much illegal immigration for so many years, so they want, the more you have, the more you have, because then they have their communities and family and relatives. So, you know, if you're um, if you're just from Madagascar or something, how many people from Madagascar are in the country? So it's not as enticing to come. But nonetheless, they are coming a lot now from Romania, from Brazil, certainly Haiti and, and Cuba. I could actually look at um, I have the latest uh, numbers here from Texas DPS for the week ending in March 10th which by the way, we're, we're catching about 5,400 people a day. That's an annualized flow, if you extrapolate that, of 2 million people. Um, and yeah, I mean, I see here, we got Romania, we got Congo. Um, again, not as many numbers as, as the Central American countries. Venezuela is, is a big one. Ecuador, uh, Brazil. I mean, you know, the left is really yelping about the Brazilian variant of COVID. It's interesting. We do have a lot of Brazilians coming. Um, you know, over a hundred a week have been caught. Um, so a lot of extra continentals as well. So that's important to recognize. This is not about. Oh my gosh, there are the people A are being persecuted by people B at this time, this place. No, right. 
it's general impoverished countries will always people will always come here if they can if they're incentivized to do so what kept them from doing that there were three things that trump implemented and biden took them off number one was um you know he he had multilateral agreements with really the four relevant countries to the south of us to say that you have to claim if you really are an asylee if you genuinely are you have to claim asylum in the first safe country and by the way um the un does designate uh, recognize mexico as a safe country so you know do you really want to come to america just to to get a job or family family reunification or are you really being persecuted and the pr- proof is in the pudding. You know, if, if you if it wasn't about that, you would um, claim asylum there. And connected to that was also that you can't just have hundreds of thousands of people break in and say asylum. No, we'll take your application, but you have to do it waiting in Mexico. So that was called the MPP, Migration uh, Protocol Policy, as well as the third party agreement. So those two together made it that they didn't want to come because as you all know, Ali, this is not about escaping what was in their country, um, at least not in an individualized persecution, it's more about they want to come to America, specifically. They don't want to come to Iceland. They don't want to come to any other country. That's where they want to come. Which, of course, is, I mean, like you said, it's it's understandable, but if there's not a process, a legal process by which... Uh, by which they can follow or by which they are following, then of course we cease to be a country. We cease to be sovereign. We cease to be, a country. We, we cease yeah. to be able to protect our own citizens. And of course, people so quickly say, well, that's an anti-immigrant stance. And it's the farthest thing from the truth. It's actually about protecting people of all different kinds, of all different original nationalities yep. that are in the United States, especially legally. Citizenship has to mean something. It should be that the government is looking out for your rights and looking out for your protections. And that does mean uh, securing the border. I mean, we went from America first, at least trying to be America first under Donald Trump to it seems like America dead last under Joe Biden. And unfortunately, this is this is a product of that. And also, I think people forget that illegal immigration is not actually compassionate for the illegal immigrants coming in. It is very dangerous at the border. And the more people there are, the more the smugglers are incentivized, the more coyotes are incentivized. And the vulnerable, the children, the women especially, are made victims through this process. There's nothing compassionate about what is going on at the border under Joe Biden. And I guess my my last yeah. question for you is like, what do we do? People feel totally powerless. Yeah. People in Dallas are like, what the heck are we going to do? Like, h- how do we deal with this? What's your advice? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really I, I think to answer your other question first, also, what 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 was Biden thinking? I think they believe their own naivety. So in other words, sometimes when you put a promulgate a talking point for so long, you start believing it. and and, and they they're obsessed with these are persecuted people, it's asylum. And no, because that would be finite and limited to a time, place, and people. It's endless. <laughs> it's every impoverished country. If you tell them you could now come, they'll all come. And then they're like, holy heck, I didn't realize that. I think they didn't realize, like, th- you, you have no idea. There are millions where they come from. I mean, this pipeline. And I think that's what they're starting to realize, that we were right all along when we said that it, it, the whole thing was a scam. It had nothing to do with with asylum, um, I, I think- You think they you are know, realizing that? Because I, I did hear Biden say, oh, if you're planning to come here, stay in your town. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm sure that's not gonna be super effective. Well, it rings hollow with them, you know, unless they actually 
uh, you know, start doing Title 42 again and turning them around. So it will be interesting to see if they're forced to just because it was done too quickly, not that they care about the border, but I think they didn't think it would happen this quickly. Like it took about I'm trying to remember. It took about 12 to 13 months in the 2018 crisis to get to these numbers. We got here in two. Yeah. So, but that, you know, and that happened no ba- under Trump, though, which means that, that Republicans did, and, that and Democrats have failed at this. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I mean, you remember at the time I was really pressuring the Trump administration to put, to put in place these things. And it took a year longer than I wanted to, but they got to it eventually. But that really was was spearheaded by the courts. This is spearheaded by the executive branch this time. Um, but I think I think what's important um, in terms of my solution, my solution is going to be the states. And um, I think just as, as, as a philosophical and legal background, to that, I, I think you mentioned something about anti-immigrant and immigrant this. And, you know, there's a lot we could talk about. And you're absolutely right that you don't do them any favors. Um, obviously, you're empowering their cartels. They're bringing in a record amount of drugs because while they throw the families at the agents, they bring in the drugs. And also, they, that's where they bring in the previously deported sex offenders. Um, a lot of people don't realize on a typical year, this is from last fiscal year, just the people that ICE arrested, and mind you, they don't have access to a lot of the sanctuary areas where most of them live. They had a cumulative total of 6,888 sex offenses, 5,350 sex assaults, and 1,739 commercialized sexual assaults. Um, Trump, over the last number of years, deported thousands of those people. Those people are making their way back now. And what happens is the cartels, so they have a business model where if you're a family, you pay about 5000 But if you're a previously deported dude, a criminal guy with a criminal record, so the thing about you is you don't want to meet an agent, even you know under an open border, because presumably they're going to remove you and, and maybe throw you in jail. So you have to cross surreptitiously, right? You have to successfully evade, not just be delivered into their hands. So that's usually going to be $12,000. So they, they have the, um, they're called suicide loads, where they, they throw the, uh, on the Rio Grande River, they send all the rafts in, and then the agents have to deal with it. And boom, that's when they bring mm. in the really bad guys. Um, the number of sex offenders apprehended just for the first five months of this year is three times more than last year. And you got to believe the cartels have a pretty good business model. So those are the ones we catch. You can imagine the majority of them we don't catch. And I could tell you um, the number of gotaways. Uh, we, we typically catch about 5,400 a day the last couple of weeks, uh, just you know, illegal aliens. The number of gotaways, these are the people that through the blimps, the cameras, um, the footprints, they have ways of counting. And, and, and it's a fraction of the ones that they really you know, that that really got away about 1500 a day. So about maybe a quarter of the flow are gotaways. Wow. Um, But it's really a lot more than that. Those people pound per pound are much, much worse because by definition, those are the ones that have to pay more to strategically be brought in because they have criminal records. Right. So here's what's important. Texas has to step up and other states should crowdsource public and private funds to help Texas and Arizona. Number one, Texas DPS. They are, are starting to do this. So what, what they tell me, what border agents tell me is, while they have to be babysitters, at least Texas DPS could fill in those gaps to try to be spotters for them 
and get the bad guys, at least the bad guys. Um, now, look, ultimately, they can't really hold them for long, and they turn them over to ICE. And I have heard that ICE is even releasing criminal aliens because Biden doesn't view um, foreign national drug traffickers and uh, drunk drivers as really a crime. Like, so they have to have murder. Let's assume murder and rapists they'll hold. I, I think maybe we could assume that. I don't know. But that's where it's important for Texas DPS. They need to, Texas is in, in their state legislative session. They got to push that. There's two more bills, and I know you got to run. SB 1254. Um, that's a bill by Senator Hall in the Texas legislature to uh, create an interstate compact with other states to start cooperating on ways to deter illegal immigration. Um, I don't have time to get into it now, but I wrote an article at The Blaze how states can deter and block caravans um, on their own, the legal and moral case for it. I quote a lot from Scalia on this issue. States have sovereignty. All things equal, it's the federal job. But if they're working with the cartels to complete the cycle of a criminal smuggling conspiracy, a state is not left to just die. I mean, right. you can't you can't do that to them. They have the right to push them out. We're not talking about states setting up their own visa programs or their own system, but but they have the right to pr protect their jurisdictional um, integrity. Right. So so and I think you're going to need other states. And the, here's the biggie. HB 2862, have Texas build the wall. Mm. It is their territory. It's their territory. Um, this is Representative Slayton's bill. They have the ability to do it. I think, you know, if they're worried about the budget, the American people would love to donate to something like that. And the reason why this is so important is because right now we have half-baked construction, which is worse than no construction. Right. The Biden administration, even if you oppose the wall, you want to complete the infrastructure in the gaps and then walk away from it. Right. But instead, what they did is it's now worse than before because Border Patrol created um, access roads to uh, to build it. You know, they had to have access roads. So you have a lot of very rugged areas in the big bend in the West. They never crossed there. Never. Mm -hmm. Now I see they're crossing there. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing in Cochise County, Arizona. Very rugged. They're crossing there. Wow. Why? Because now they could get cars in to access roads through the gaps because it's not completed. But now they have the access roads. They're nothing but cartel roads that we have built for them. Oh, man. We got problems and you laid it out really well. And I know a lot of people are worried, but look, like like you said, take the advice that Daniel is giving us. Uh, make sure that you are holding your state legislators accountable on this. I know, you know, some people in California, it's it's a lost cause uh, for some people. But what we are seeing is a crisis. It's not good for anyone, for anyone coming in, anyone already in here. So thank you for explaining that. Can you just tell everyone where they can follow and find you? Sure. So obviously you could follow me at the Blaze Podcast or iTunes CR Podcast. I have a lot of guests on that discuss this in depth, as well as my own intel that I get every day, as well as many, many, many other issues at RM Conservative on Twitter. And of course, uh, at the Blaze with all of our, our uh, columns and articles. Um, and Ali, thanks so much. I really enjoy your show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Really looking forward to coming back. Take care.
So I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I know that it was a lot. There's just a lot going on. I just want to end the week by reminding you to, just as I have to do every day, to try to um, be as good as we can at combining the compassion or the compassion that is demanded of us in scripture with the truth. I don't believe in compromising one for the other. I think that sometimes we can swing on that pendulum, but God calls us to both. And I think we have such a perfect embodiment of that in Jesus himself that he never compromised in the truth. Like he was very harsh. And I think sometimes even sarcastic, like you can read Jesus and your feelings can get hurt because he really is so blunt with the truth. But he was always um, he was always caring and attentive and gentle in his presentation of the truth and his talking about sin and his urging toward repentance. And he called the rich and the powerful to repent. He also called the poor and the sick and the lame to repent. So God cared about the truth or Jesus cared about the truth. He cared about repentance. He cared about sin and salvation even as at the same time and is driven by uh, his love for people. And I pray that we would uh, we would be the same way and we're gonna fail at it. But when it comes to these kinds of conversations, especially when it comes to illegal immigration, it can be so difficult to have these conversations in a way that actually makes sense. But we have to understand what's really going on. And again, what is happening um, there right now is not love, it's not compassion. And the fact that the media covers it one way when a Republican is in office and another way when a Democrat is in office just tells us, like, we don't need to take our moral cues or outrage cues from the media. Like, we need to be seeking the truth as much as we possibly can, and we need to pray to God for discernment in all things. All right, that's all I've got to say for today. We will see you guys back here on Monday.